the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. I'm not coming out until it's warm again, so you'll have to call me and let me know when the temperature starts going up. Hey, thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about anything going on in your life. If you have questions about church, all you have to do is call us, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And if you are in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, I always love the weekends. Friday, uh, we're, tonight we'll be teaching, I'll be teaching Revelation chapter 17, only the first six verses tonight. And I'm going to talk about one of my least favorite subjects. I'm going to talk about religion. So uh, please, please, please uh, keep me in prayer. And uh, um, hopefully tonight we'll see uh, God move on some people's hearts. Uh, I'm, I'm teaching on Legion. The, the demon-possessed man called Legion on Sunday here at Calvary Chapel. And we'd love to have you join us. CalvarySA.com if you want to watch it live stream. Well, let me get to questions that have been sent in. I think I'm going to call her first. Let me go there first. I've got Ron from Converse on line one. Ron, thanks for calling early. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron. How you doing? Ron, I'm really doing well. I wish it was 40 degrees warmer. Other than that, I'm fine. I'm with you. I'm acclimated to heat and humidity, <laughs> just like you. Me too. <laughs> oh, this is like the Siberia to me. Well, yeah. Well, thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you for the prayer yesterday for my daughter. And, um, uh-huh. and uh, it warmed her heart. And yes, she is saved again. She's saved. And uh, we were both Good. Catholics for the longest time. And that brings me to my question. Um, uh, both of my parents, the last few years of their their life drifted away, absolutely away from the Catholic Church, became Christian at heart, and, and moved away from the crucifix, and the, and went to uh, simply the cross, and and uh, away from uh, the rosary, and the, the, uh, the, I know that a lot of churches have the communion with the, uh, but with the Catholics, it's more of a, the concept, consecrated, it's, it's treated like an entity, and the, the the beads and the rosaries, you know, the statues. I just, I wanted to, I needed a straight answer, and I wanted, I know I'd get it from you. Um, insofar as beads, the rosary, um, the statues, and all of the, the trappings of the, the, the Catholicism, can, is this idolatry in your eyes? Is Are these items, are these, Idols. I know that generally you can anything can become an idol. People can become mm-hmm. idols unto themselves. 
the, you know, the careers, the money, um, and, and such material goods. But were these like ultimate idols insofar as like the golden calf was, you know, <laughs> uh, 3,000 years yeah. ago to the uh, is- Israelites? Yeah, Ron, I, I can help you with this. I think the 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 golden calf. I mean, there was a that was a a, a sex orgy going on. I mean, they, they were completely given over to lust and 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 when you talk about the 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 false gods or the idols to Molech or to Dagon or to to uh, Diana or Artemis. Um, um, there was a whole lot more than just idol worship. I mean, this was really the worship of self. Um, obviously, um, the, the word I would use relative to the rosary beads and to the icons um, uh, and even the, the Catholic um, uh, understanding of communion is that it has no value. It's useless. Um but but I don't think that you we can't judge people's hearts. So I don't think you can you can equate it to the same type of idol worship that uh, Israel experienced um, in the wilderness uh, during the golden calf time. I, I I just think they're two different things. But for me personally, and Ron, this is just me talking to another Ron. Um, I think it's worse. It's actually worse, more harmful when people are doing useless things. Uh, all you have to do is read Isaiah chapter 1, and you, you get God's understanding and his heart toward uh, the false worship um, that goes on, and, and even worse, the hypocritical worship. Um, he, God says in Isaiah chapter 1, your, your new moon feasts and festivals, I'm weary of them. When you hold your hands out in prayer, I will not listen. And, and I think that's the same thing when people are going through these silly motions um, of repeating the rosary or um, um, praying through Mary or praying through saints. Um, uh, I mentioned at the beginning of the program, Ron, I'm going to be teaching out of Revelation chapter 17 tonight. And I don't like doing this, by the way. I love I love Revelation, but, but Revelation chapter 17, I'm going to stop at the first six verses because in order to understand the rest of chapter 17 and 18, and to see the glory in chapter 19, you've got to really get to the underlying problem. The underlying problem has always been religion. Man is created to worship God. Religion sort of takes the place of real worship, and it anesthetizes us in the sense that we have a, 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 an understanding that, well, I'm okay with God because I'm doing these good things, when in fact we're not doing good things at all. So, Ron, uh, it, it's it's useless. It has no value um, at the same time um, to go to the degree where we would say, well, no, this is like the golden calf worship, I think is a, a, a lack of understanding about what goes on during that time. Uh, our faith is in Jesus Christ. There's one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. Our faith is in the finished work on the cross. Uh, and, and the icons, the crucifixes, the, 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 the Catholic masses, none of that has any value whatsoever. Now, I realize that as I'm speaking, there's a whole bunch of people listening in this audience that are offended by what I just said. I've said this repeatedly. I'll say it again. There are some Catholics who are saved. Just not many. Just not many. And the reason there's not many is because Jesus said to the most religious man in Israel, you must be born again. It's not a matter of what you do. It's not a matter of being baptized or being confirmed or anything else. It's a matter of surrendering one's heart to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So, Ron, I hope that makes it clear to you. Thank you again for calling, and we'll keep your, your daughter in prayer. Tell her we'll do so. Here is a question from Anonymous from our email inbox. Excuse me. What are the implications of someone who believes in election? To me, it's pretty scary to think that God decided to make people love him and didn't give that choice of free will to everyone. I fully believe the opportunity is open to everybody to believe uh, in Christ and once they do to find out that they've been predestined by God because of his foreknowledge. Uh, I don't want to argue with this person, but I'm afraid for them. I know they're saved, and this isn't an essential to our faith, but just wondering what could happen to somebody who believes this way. 
To me, it would seem that a Christian who believes he's been elected would maybe feel superior towards non-believers. It also seems the command and the urgency of spreading the gospel would be lost on him. Also, is this a Calvinistic view? Yes, it's very Calvinistic or very Reformed. Um, the idea uh, that God chooses, he chooses sovereignly without regard to fairness or justice. He just chooses. And the thinking by a Calvinist uh, anonymous is that, well, we all deserve hell. So if whatever God does is deserved. If people are going to hell, that's where they were going anywhere. If God chooses to save them, that's just God sovereignly saving some. Uh, there's so many horrible implications of of believing in, in Reformed theology in this sense or, or in Calvinism. Let me say first that this is not a heresy. Um, There are many, many wonderful Christians and and some wonderful Bible teachers, except in this one area, who believe in Reformed theology. And they believe in the the Calvinist doctrine. Um, That doesn't make them right. It just means they're not heretics. They're really believers. And when we get to heaven, uh, they're going to find out that they're wrong. Um, the implications, Anonymous, of someone believing what, what you stated this person believes, uh, you've um, um, illustrated those implications very well. Um, um, when you say you know they're saved and it's not essential to our faith, um, you hit it on the nail when you said uh, the person who believes he's been elected may feel superior. There is an arrogance, an intellectual Arrogance, and it's a false intellectual arrogance, but it's an arrogance nonetheless. Um, they believe that they've just got all of the answers. One of the things about Calvinism, it fits into everybody's nice little box, and we have answers for all of the difficult questions that people deal with. And when it comes to, well, is God just, oh, who can question God? The clay can't say to the potter, why did you make me thus? So um, you understand it very, very well. And the reason you understand it is because you actually read the Bible for what it says rather than looking at the Bible through the lens of what somebody has told you it says. I'll just give you one example and then I'll move on. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever would believe would not perish but have everlasting life. Now, if you're talking to a Calvinist, they're going to have to try to convince you that that um, uh, the world doesn't mean the world, that the world somehow means only those who are elect, and that whosoever doesn't mean whosoever because everybody knows we don't have free will. And that's what the Calvinists would say. But you can't read it any other way. If you picked up the Bible for the very first time and I asked you to explain John 3.16, it would be obvious what it says. And we have to go through twists and turns and tricks in order to come up with a theology that is inconsistent with the clear statement John 3.16 makes. And that's just one, and they're all over the place. So um, you keep reading the Bible for what it says. Romans 8.29, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 indicate very clearly that we are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God who knows everything. In other words, he knows who he's going to choose because he knows whose names are written in the book of life. Now, he didn't write those names in, and we have nothing to say about it, but our names are written in when we become born-again Christians. And then this is the mystery of heaven. Uh, We find out that our names are always in there. Why? Because God knows the end from the beginning. And to deny free will is to deny over and over and over again the choices that people are asked to make throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New. So what we've got to do is we've got to learn to read the Bible for what it says, not what we want it to say, not what somebody's told us to say, but what we want it to say. One of the things that I'm interested in finding out when I get to heaven is how some people who are wonderful Bible teachers, I've got some Calvinist Bible teachers that I enjoy listening to. I don't turn them off unless they're talking about election because they they cease to be to make any sense at all as they do all those mental gymnastics to, to, to reinforce their belief. But when they're teaching other things, they're solid. John MacArthur, 
John MacArthur's a rare Calvinist. He's rare in that he's also uh, pre-trib, pre-mill in his eschatology. John MacArthur's always talking about Jesus coming soon. And, and he's right on that. But how he could be so wrong on this and so right about so many things. And he's just one example. Vadi Bakum is another one. Um, um, Alistair Begg is another one. There's wonderful Calvinist Bible teachers, and they have a lot to offer. The problem is, in this one area, they've got some issues. So thank you for the question. I appreciate it very much, and God bless you for being a student of your Bible. It means a lot. Let's go to an anonymous call on line two. Anonymous, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Are you there? Anonymous on line two. Okay, we must have lost you. Let's go to Jim on line three. Jim, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now, Jim. Thank you. It's Jimmy. Oh, Jimmy. Oh, hi, Jimmy. I got Jim on my screen. So, hey, Jimmy. Uh, I'm learning the book of Revelation. And when chapters, we're in chapter six and seven, that I finally hey. understood what it meant about the four horses mm-hmm. and what they mean. Um, I'm glad, you know, God answered my prayers to learn. Because I wanted to <laughs> learn more about it. But I was like, God, I don't understand everything in this book. So... But um, I'm learning more about it. Good. You know, Jimmy, my notes, I've got a, a, a commentary written on the book of Revelation. Um, and they're, they're free on our website, and it might help you to go through uh, through your studies just to sort of give you an idea. I had this conversation with somebody yesterday. They're, they're terrified about Revelation. They say it's just too difficult. And, and I think that's a lie of Satan. You know, the Bible promises, the book of Revelation promises blessings to those who hear it who read it and do yes. it, mm-hmm. and and uh, I don't think the enemy wants us to be blessed, and it's really not hard to understand. Tonight's chapter that I'm starting on in Revelation chapter 17, uh, that's one of the most difficult chapters to interpret of all, uh, but it's not as difficult as people make it, and all of the symbols are are explained for us somewhere else in our, in our Old Testament. And uh, if we'll understand that, it's not so difficult at all to figure it out. So God bless you for digging in, Jim. Jimmy, what's on your heart? Nothing. I just wanted to... I know you haven't heard from me in a long time, but I listen to you. But I know you haven't heard from me in a long time, so I just want to say hello. And I just want to let oh, you thank know you. that I am still, I'm still in the Word and stuff like that. Good. Thank but you, Jimmy. I, we we, we miss you, and I appreciate you letting us know, because we do worry. Don't worry. I'm, I'm, I'm excited because I know that Jesus is coming back. So. Yeah, very soon. All the stuff in, yeah. in Ukraine and Russia, um, boy, it fits right into the, the end-time scenario. Jimmy, God bless you. Thank you. I can't wait to see you again. All right, sir. Take care. Uh-huh. This is a call I've been waiting for. Ruben from Seguin on line one. Ruben, how did it go? Uh, it didn't go at all. I oh, it didn't. Postponed. No, we were praying no, so much. Yeah, I'm so sorry. I, I uh, uh, oh man, <laughs> a lot of things happened um, with my dad, and uh, he ended. Uh, oh, just a lot of things passed around. This past week has been one thing after another, and I'm just in the middle of it. I'm just like God, this. You know, you or you are doing this. Uh, you have to take control of this because I cannot deal with all of this. Uh, my dad uh, fell twice, and he ended up. Uh, they, I had to put him in a nursing home. A decision I didn't want to make, and then um, I had to postpone the the surgery because of that. And then my mother uh, is. Uh, I believe I told you she's. She's on her deathbed and mm-hmm. having difficulties with my family members trying to see her, and it's just it's just been crazy. And then to top it off, my Jeep broke down, and I'm just like, Lord, please, you know, I mean, <laughs> please, 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 Lord. I 
mean, I've been through a lot, and I'm still going through a lot. Uh, I'm not asking why. I'm not going to ask why. You know, I'm believing that there's a reason for everything. And in the years past, you have gotten me through some hard things, and you're going to get me through this. And I, I know you are. So, uh, you know, I'm at that. So I'm just, you know, first of all, I just called to let you know that it didn't go. It didn't go. I didn't do it. I had to postpone it. But uh, okay. if I can have some prayer for my dad and for my mom, for my family who were preparing for the, the loss of my mother, which is a very difficult thing to to stand there and see your mom, you know, just disintegrate into nothing. It's very that uh, Alzheimer's disease is a horrible, horrible disease. Yeah. Cruel. Um, it is. It is cruel. It is extremely cruel. And um, so to pray, please, for, for my family um, and resolution, the, the resolution of conflict between my brothers and I, you know, the Lord knows, you know, just pray for that. And and also, uh, I'm going to ask for prayer because um, I, I, I do need a vehicle. So ask the Lord to just to make means for me to either pay to get the car fixed or for God just to open up a door for me to get another vehicle. Because uh, uh, I do need a vehicle to get around, especially to be going to San Antonio to my doctors and everything. Um, you know, the enemy wants to make me worry and bring in anxiety. But, you know, yesterday, a quick, quick uh, uh, victory report. Uh, yesterday morning, I woke up and with extreme anxiety the enemy was just putting pressure on me. How are you going to do this? How are you going to do that? And you can't even see your mom and, and, and this and that. And you can't pay this. You can't pay that. And, you know, but I thank God that I just said, you know what, God, I give it to you. I prayed. I prayed. I, I got into the word and I just started worshiping on my piano by myself about five o'clock in the morning. And by the time I knew it, I had this piece that I was like, wow, you know what? I want some pancakes, <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? <laughs> That's how peaceful I got. That's how peaceful I got. But um, I wanted to Pleasure. let you know that. Thank you, Ruben. Just so I'm you, jealous. I, I'm jealous. I wish I could sit down at the piano and play. <laughs> well, you know, you, you can. You can. The Lord said, make a joyful noise. You can't say that. <laughs> yeah. you know? yeah. Mine's so bad, it's not even joyful, Ruben. Hey, you know, let me give you a suggestion. Uh, two things. One, God's grace is sufficient. You'll find that out as you have over the years. You yeah. keep remembering what God has done. That's the right thing. But let me, let me give you a kind of a, a, a little help aid. Um, my ringtone on my phone, you're a musician, so you'll appreciate uh-huh. this, uh, is is the song Don't Worry Baby by the Beach Boys. So every time my phone rings, <laughs> it says, the, all I hear is, don't worry, baby. And so if it, 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 th- that just reminds me, oh, that's right, I don't have to worry. So don't worry, Ruben, worry. God's got you. Amen. Amen. We'll Amen. be praying, my Amen. friend. God Thank bless you. you. God bless you. Uh-huh. Right. Bye-bye. Oh, boy, some people have a tough go. Reuben has been through so much in the years that he's been calling, and he has continued to grow through it all. So, Reuben, we will be praying for you. Here is an anonymous uh, question from our mobile app. Pastor Ron, please explain what it means to take or use the Lord's name in vain and provide a couple of examples. Thank you so much for sharing your love for the Lord and his word. Thank you. Uh, May God continue to bless you today and in the days to come. Anonymous, thank you for the blessing. Um, Taking the Lord's name in vain, there's a lot of application uh, there. It's not just words. Obviously, we're taking the Lord's name in vain when we use his name to curse. That's the most common way for me, Anonymous, whenever I hear that. It's just like filth in my mouth. Uh, But that's obviously the way. But, But it's also... Uh, we take the Lord's name in vain when we call him Lord. But we're not doing what he tells us to do. Jesus will say to many people, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I tell you to do? And he'll say, depart from me, for I never knew you. 
Uh, and I think we, we take the Lord's name in vain when we, uh, in our prayers, call him Lord, and we have no intention of being obedient to him. I think we take his name in vain when we come to church, and there's no intent in our heart to change, to listen to what the Word says, and be changed by it. I think we take his name in vain when we say we're a Christian, and we're holding on to unforgiveness. I think we take his name in vain when in anger we yell at people that he died for. So there's so many ways, but basically it's way, way more than just using a curse word of God's name in a curse word. So it's really important that we get that anonymous. Um, we've, we've got to be um, sincere, genuine in our faith. Uh, in Acts chapter 5, when Ananias and Sapphira are actually killed by the Lord, the Holy Spirit kills them. It's because they took God's name in vain. They tried to take credit by lying to the Holy Spirit, forgiving lesson they said they gave. So there's all kinds of ways that we can take the Lord's name in vain. I hope that makes sense to you. We've got 30 minutes left in our week. This is the word to stand on for life. 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. I'll be back in two minutes. the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh Welcome back to the program our final 30 minutes of the week 340-9585 here is a question from our mobile app from priscilla priscilla it's good to hear from you again I met a very nice woman from China. While chatting with her, I found that she has no concept of who God is and also has no concept of sin. I explained that it was God who created the earth, us, and everything on earth. She had heard of Adam and Eve, but she could not understand why he allowed sin to come into the world. What would you say to her about who God is and what sin is? I explained what I believe, but it just didn't make sense to her. I just know that the Lord guided her there. Um, Priscilla, two things before I answer the question. Thank you for being faithful to share your faith. That's all you're responsible to do. You're a seed scatterer, according to Matthew 13 and Mark chapter 4. So God bless you for being obedient in doing that. And the seeds that you planted, this is the second thing, the seeds that you planted, I promise you the Holy Spirit will water those seeds. Now, she'll have to make her own choice, um, but she's probably going to, you're probably going to find out she understood more than you think she did. Now, we have all kinds of examples, especially in the book of Acts, of uh, people who had no concept of God. Acts chapter 17. Um, uh, Paul is speaking to the educated Greeks at Mars Hill, and uh, he's, he's, they've got no concept of God. They've got little G gods that are all over the city, but he, he goes and introduces them to a God they've not heard of before. And one of the things that the Apostle Paul wanted to do more than anything else is proclaim the gospel where no one had heard of him before. Now, for us, it's really simple. We can point to creation. Romans chapter 1 talks about creation and conscience for those who don't know the name Jesus Christ. And it is entirely possible that that people and some people in China have never heard about God uh, in other parts of the world. But you have an opportunity. It's like a blank canvas. And here's what you do. You just let them know that there is a God out there who's responsible for the sun coming up in the east every morning and setting in the west. Every evening, there's a God who's responsible for the seasons changing. Every winter it's cold, every summer it's hot, and the other two seasons are somewhere in between. And it's like that every year, no matter where you go. 
And the idea there is there is a designer there. And then it gives you the opportunity to introduce her to that designer. And you let him know that he's also the God who created everything. And he did it with a word. And he is responsible for humans. Now the problem is that God is holy and humans are not. And the reason for that is sin. And so to explain what sin is, is you simply let her know that sin is falling short of perfection. And everybody in every culture understands. You ask somebody if they're perfect and they're going to smile and giggle and say, no, I'm not perfect. And then you can say, but you see, our God is. And what that means is that there is a gap, an infinite gap between us and God. And unless we can bridge that gap, there's no way that our sin can be forgiven. Well, God sent his son to die for our sins, Jesus Christ. And she's probably heard his name. Jesus Christ died for your sins. And so the solution, the remedy for your separation from God is to ask for forgiveness. Jesus died. They killed him, but he didn't stay dead. He's alive. And because he's alive, he's eager to forgive us of our sins. And he'll give his perfection to you. All you have to do is ask for forgiveness for those things that you know weren't perfect and then give your life to him. And I promise you the Holy Spirit will be at work and you will be able to add to that conversation and she will ask questions, um, a blank canvas. I've only met one in my whole life as a Christian who'd never heard about Jesus Christ. Just one. And it was like suddenly I was an artist with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Priscilla, that's what you do. And then let her know she has to make that choice while she's alive. And Jesus' choice is he loves her. For God so loved the world, even the world in China, that whosoever believes would not perish and have everlasting life. Good question, Priscilla. And again, I want to thank you for being faithful to share your faith. Great, great, great question. Here is a question from Miguel. Pastor Ron, how should a church be structured in terms of who is in authority? Uh, Miguel, we have in our New Testament the pastoral epistles, First uh, and Second Timothy uh, and Titus, uh, the pastoral epistles. Uh, give us what that structure is supposed to be. We can go to the book of Acts and we can see how the church was structured from the beginning. So this is the structure of the church. God establishes a man who is gifted to be a pastor. That pastor is a gift to the church, and God gives that particular pastor vision for that church. Now, obviously, Miguel, there's a whole bunch of us as pastors who don't do a very good job, and we're not really under the authority of God ourselves, but but we don't blame God for that. So the church of Jesus Christ, he always begins with a man. When he called me to be a pastor, I was only six months old in the Lord. And I still had a lot of things to learn. And I was still making messes in my life back then. Um, but, But God called me and he prepared me. And he gave me a vision for a church. And then he sent me and Paula here to San Antonio, Texas. And every church, and I believe this with all of my heart, every church has a little bit different piece of a puzzle given to them by God. Jesus is the head of the church, and we who are the under-shepherds, we're simply men under authority, and so we do what Jesus tells us to do with his church. Now, one of the problems is we start thinking of it sometimes as our own church, and that's really where we start to mess things up. But literally... Um, the, the, the directions from the church, or for the church rather, come through the pastor of the church. And then that pastor does his part teaching the Bible, encouraging the people, loving the people, praying for the people, setting an example of godliness. And then um, uh, that's the authority structure. Uh, if you're talking more specifically about pastor-led or elder-led or deacon-led churches, uh, all of that is pretty clear when you go through the pastoral epistles. God gives the authority to the pastor. 
Never is the church in 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 charge. The congregational churches are a mess. Um, Elder led boards. That's that's contradicts what the Bible says. So it's the pastor. Now, the objection to that is, well, what if the pastor goes off? Well, we got to trust that God can deal with his chosen pastors if they go off course. So, uh, Miguel, we're a pastor-led church here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Uh, I realize that I'm a man under authority, and I'm responsible to be obedient to the Lord uh, because it's his church, and I'm his servant. And the people that he's given me the privilege of being the pastor to are, are people that he loves. And I, I, I approach that job with a holy fear. And I, I think that's the way it's supposed to be done. Good question, Miguel. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from Anonymous called in. Oh, I've had three friends commit suicide. I believe that they were saved. Can they still go to heaven? Um, Anonymous, I'm so sorry, first of all, for your loss. Uh, that, that is an overwhelming uh, tragedy. And um, I'm so sorry. I can't say anything other than that. Uh, if they were born again, and it is true that some born-again people commit suicide. The enemy is relentless. Uh, he catches us in weakness. And there are times when he wins. Uh, I've I've done um, three. I'm, I'm trying to think now. Three funerals of people that I knew were saved, really saved, who committed suicide. Uh, they were confused. Um, the enemy was pounding them. They didn't turn uh, to faithful people for help, um, and the enemy won. But I will see them in heaven. You know, once we give our heart to Jesus Christ, uh, all of our sins, past, present, and future, all those sins are forgiven, and our slate is clean. Now, taking one's life is certainly not um, up to us to decide. Um, I tell people all the time, they ask, well, if I commit suicide, will I go to heaven? Uh, If you're really a Christian, you can't commit suicide because your body's not your own, you're bought with a price. Um, but the reality is anonymous. The reality is that 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 in some cases the enemy wins, but overall, if they're truly born again, they're going to go to heaven. Now, this might be a little tough to hear. You said I believe that they were saved. What I would do is really try to figure out why I believe that. Was there fruit in their lives? Did they love Jesus? Were they following his will for their lives? I hope that's the case. If it is, then your friends are in heaven. But remember, our bodies are not our own. We don't have the right to shorten life. We certainly don't have the power to extend life. You need to be, make yourself available to friends when, they, when you see them hurting. It's a tough thing. I'm really, really, really sorry for your pain. Oh. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from Arnold. And he says, does the Ukraine-Russia um, war fit into the end-time scenarios? Arnold, um, yes and no. And when I say no, let me explain that first. Um, we don't have a blueprint. We don't have a battle plan for uh, for the end times and what the wars are going to look like until we get to the Valley of Megiddo, the very last war on Earth. Um, but but the, the interesting thing about this particular war is, you know, we've sort of um, written Russia off as a country. Um, we know they they have power. We know they're sitting on natural resources. Uh, but it wasn't long ago uh, when they were broke and, and they couldn't afford to do what they're doing now without some help. And certainly the United States gave them some of that help. But my, my point here is simple. Russia, we thought, was no longer a real threat. China was the threat and, and we really needed to focus on China. China was is flourishing. They're wealthy beyond our wildest imagination. Um, and we thought, well, Russia's sort of since the breakup of the Soviet Union, they sort of faded into the background a bit. Um, but the Bible says that Russia 
it's going to come back into prominence. Um, the, the Great War after the, the rapture of the church, uh, Magog and Magog, uh, that takes place. That's Russia. And, and you know, people look at that and say, well, well Russia is not going to be in a position to be powerful enough to do that. Well, we see that Russia is powerful. And Russia now, again, is rich. And Russia has this unbridled um, um, ambition. And um, we're seeing... Russia in these last days will sort of line up to where they need to be. So here's what I've been telling people, Arnold. This is interesting. And in fact, before this, uh, I'm talking two, three weeks ago, in answer to a call here on this program, I told somebody, just keep your eyes on Russia. When they start to come to the forefront, look up because your redemption draws near. And Russia is coming to the forefront now. And that's what we're seeing a whole world can stand against them. The world is impotent to stop this. You know, we say, well, well, we're going to put sanctions. The sanctions mean nothing to Russia. They already have their own coalition. So here's what we do. We need to pray for the people in Ukraine. We need to pray that people would get saved because Jesus is coming soon. So Arnold, it fits into the, the, the end times um, scenario that way. Um, but but there, there's no specific um, description of a Ukraine-Russia war. But uh, Russia is flexing its muscles. Uh, one other thing I can think about is I think we're going to see uh, China um, be emboldened to take over Taiwan and maybe even Hong Kong. And the United States is going to do absolutely nothing about it. So we're in a, a really dangerous time in our world right now. And Christians, we need to be about our Father's business. And His business is telling people about Jesus because He's coming soon, very, very soon. Candace asked a question. Pastor Ron, what do you think about parents now trying to step up and change what kids are being taught in school? Um, Candace, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that people are standing up, but uh, you know what the media is doing. The media is making them look like a a mob of crazies, a bunch of fundamentalist wackos. Um, and, and so I, I don't think they're going to, I don't think they're making much progress. Um, last week or maybe two weeks ago now in, in San Francisco, uh, they finally, they recalled three board members who'd gotten so, so crazy left. Um, um, but, but it's not changing things. So, uh, parents, I think the best thing you can do is keep your kids out of public schools anymore, period. I think it's the best thing. I, I can no longer, and I've never been a homeschool advocate. I've never been one who said, you know, Christian kids should be out of the public schools. Uh, I've just never been that. I, I think especially Christian kids with the heart to evangelize, that's where they need to be. But I can no longer even um, recommend that. Uh, because they're bound and determined to steal your faith or your child's faith from them. And the pressure on your children is going to be enormous. And it's very hard for young people to deal with that. So I'm, I'm grateful somebody's standing up. Um, but, but I think the change, I think that bridge um, is no longer open. So uh, I just, my own personal opinion, for whatever it's worth, is that we ought to take our kids out of public schools completely and teach them. I, I don't think homeschool is the answer unless you are a gifted teacher. Your children deserve gifted teachers. And I think whatever it costs to, to pay a private school, you know, obviously we have a free school here, but we don't have enough space to get all the kids in that want to come in now. Um, but but I think being a parent, protecting your child um, begins right here, protecting their heart and protecting their mind. And all the talk about um, the, the progressive uh, um, messages, the, 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 the sexual confusion, um, the approval of, of uh, immoral sexuality, um, they're trying to brainwash our kids, and they're doing a pretty good job of it. So, um, Candace, um, that, that's... I just I think we're probably that the ship has sailed on me making changes at the school level uh, at this point in time. 
Uh, Ellie says, uh, in the parable of the sower, which, and this is me again, which I did just uh, a couple of weeks ago here at Calvary Chapel. In the parable of the sower, the sower represents human hearts. So which soils are saved in the parable? Um, uh, Ellie, the only one that we can say for sure is saved is the last one. Um, The one that produces 30, 60, 100 times that which is sowed. But here's, I think, the most important thing um, regarding your question, Ellie. Um, that's not what the parable's about. The parable is not about who's saved and who isn't saved. The parable is all and only about scattering seed. And the seed Jesus defines as the word of God. So our job is to go out, give people the gospel of Jesus Christ, to give them the word, and that's our only job. And we have that responsibility. And, and we've got to be faithful. So that's what it's about. And when we start worrying about, well, which soils represent hearts that are converted, then we forget the, the impetus of the parable. The parable is throw it everywhere. We don't get a break. Everywhere we go, we're supposed to be throwing the seed wherever we go. And it's God who waters it. It's God who makes it grow. So that's what the parable is about. And um, I hope that's not frustrating you. But again, the only one that we can say for sure is saved is the one who is producing a fruit or producing a crop 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. So the parables have one meaning and one application. And when we try to to read too much into them, L.A., we find ourselves in a difficult situation. Thank you for the question. Oh, here's another one. This one is going to make people angry again. This is from Yoli. She says, with Ash Wednesday and Lent coming up, do you think it's something that Christians should observe? Um, Yoli, the answer is no. Absolutely not. Uh, I want you to think about something for a moment. Ash Wednesday comes right after Fat Tuesday. And Fat Tuesday is a day where um, people go out and they indulge and overindulge. And then it's like on Wednesday they're going ash on their forehead and suddenly they're okay with God. That's simply not true. Again, this is religion, and I'm going to say tonight in our Bible study in Revelation chapter 17, I hate religion because religion is a killer. And so this whole idea of Ash Wednesday and Lent, imagine, think of this, okay, I'm going to indulge, do whatever I want, I'm going to Mardi Gras, and then I'm going to take the next several weeks, and I'm going to deny myself something that probably is not good anyway. And I'm going to count the days until I can start indulging again. Do you think that Jesus cares at all about that? So the answer is no. Getting a, an ash on your forehead, and I realize this is Catholic and there are other religious traditions, uh, Protestant traditions who do it, um, and yet the, the reality is it, it means absolutely nothing. What God cares about is your heart. Is your heart. You know, in the Old Testament, they didn't have the Holy Spirit living in them. And whenever they were repenting, they were, they repented by wearing uh, sackcloth. Imagine how uncomfortable that would be. And throwing ashes and dirt on their heads, over their heads. Um, and, and, and Ash Wednesday is simply a, a modern version of that. And there's no value in that. What happens is our heart needs to repent. David said, against thee and thee only have I sinned, O God. And the idea that we can just deny ourselves something. I'm going to not eat chocolate. I'm not going to drink beer. I'm not going to drink or smoke marijuana. I'm not. Those are things that we shouldn't be doing anyway. So what value is it to God if we say, okay, well, I'm going to observe this month. I'm not going to do it. The whole idea is to start looking toward an empty tomb which is what Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, is all about. And Yoli, when we look at that empty tomb, the only thing that matters is where is our heart with Jesus. Religion doesn't help. Only being born again does. Last question. Uh, Diane, who is... uh, Impossible question to answer. Diane says, why do some kids in the same family grow up to reject Jesus? I wish I had the answer to that. 
Diane, we've got families in our church, wonderful Christian parents. They love God with all of their heart. They got multiple children, and and some of the children are serving God with great joy and producing great fruit. And other of the in the same family have turned away and rejected Jesus Christ. The only answer, the only explanation, is that every single man or woman has to make that decision on their own. And a mom and dad's faith isn't enough for a child who's now grown. They have to make their own decision about who Jesus was. And we find that example over and over and over in the Bible. Samuel, his kids were horrible. Samuel the prophet, his kids were horrible. David was a horrible dad. He produced kids that were horrible. Um, so so th- there's there's no explanation it's just very straightforward. Um, everybody has to have their own encounter with Jesus Christ. Everybody has to make their own decision about whether or not they're going to follow him, whether they're going to deny themselves and believe. And if the answer is no, it's not because the parents did anything wrong. Uh, it's not that they love one kid more than another. It's just the way it is. And I think we all know probably many examples of families who are in exactly this this circumstance. So I wish there was an easy way to, to describe it, Diane, uh, but, but there just isn't. It just happens. Um, and the person that rejects Jesus Christ, um, they do that, um, and they face the consequences for it. So I hope that makes sense. Well, we are just out of time here. The music is going to start any moment. Uh, Thank you for tuning in. Uh, Stay safe out in this cold weather. Uh, I'm going to be teaching Revelation chapter 17 tonight. The the first six verses is all. And um, it's a pretty important foundation for the rest of the book of Revelation. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back on Monday on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.